This is a podcast from thebuglepodcast.com. The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to Bugle issue 243 for the week beginning Monday, the 5th of August 2013, with me, Andy Zaltzman, the arbiter of Armageddon. That's a new part-time job I'm doing on the side, not the most interesting work, to be honest, sitting around waiting for the end of the world, still, keeps me in the house. Uh, And uh, my next guest, regular Buglers will probably recognise him, it's the news talker New Yorker. The Muhammad Ali's fist to the George Foreman's face of events. It's John Oliver. Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. Well, never mind the small screen, Andy, because it's movie time this week. (laughs) Check your local listings. Smurfs 2 is here. (laughs) Andy, Smurfs 2 has dropped this week like a golden stone. (laughs) Shiny and heavy, Andy. I haven't seen it because I'm not six years old. But if I was, I would have done Andy and I'd have loved it, I think. It's hard to say. I haven't seen it. The point is, Andy, Vanity Smurf is in movie theatres now. Now, will the world of cinema ever be the same? Too soon to say. History will be the judge. The point is... I offered a heartbreaking portrayal of a complicated soul trapped in the body of an inexplicably popular blue Belgian creature. Is it Oscar-worthy? Again, not for me to say, Andy. (laughs) Is it Oscar-eligible? I think not, which actually might help take care of that first question. Now, apparently, apparently I've not had the box office list uh, receipts. I don't know. I don't even know how you quantify a film success. Uh, apparently the film is opening very big in Korea and Germany. Well, two places that like extremely strange things. And, <laughs> and I've got a horrible feeling that there may be some adults only screenings going on over there. But that's not the point. That's not the point. Everyone is welcome, including German and Korean perverts. Smurfs too, Andy. <laughs> well, of course you have, uh, you know, very... Uh Highly respected and in many ways illustrious uh, career on the, on the big screen. Um, Decorated on the silver screen, Andy. And I'm a f***ing Smurf. <laughs> Respect me. The, the Smurfs. <laughs> that is a sentence the, that's uh, never been said in the English language. <laughs> <laughs> Not since uh, Picasso's blue period. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Uh, on the Rotten Tomatoes website, John, which is oh, yeah. you know, not uh, not entirely a, <laughs> oh, no. a scientific uh, scientific experiment, uh, it's pretty scientific. The, <laughs> what uh, is it? Well, the, the Love Guru, your previous that, uh, that was your film debut. That got fourteen percent okay. on the Tomatometer. Out of how many percent? Well, Andy? I believe out of, it's out of twenty percent, roughly a hundred. Um, oh, okay. Uh, the Smurfs too, John. What? What? What do you reckon? It's it's it's. It's uh, oh. high, you're getting higher I mean, or lower a, than the guru. It's, it's a sequel, so they're always they always slightly dip. I'm guessing like eighty two percent. Right, fourteen percent, John. Exactly the same. Fourteen again. <laughs> it's the fourteen percenter, John Oliver. <laughs> what what did Smurfs one get? Oh, hang on, let me let me find out. Because that that is key. Smurfs rotten. You don't smart. judge it against other movies, Andy. You judge okay. it against itself and its massive box office right. potential. Twenty two percent. Oh, the Smurfs. To drop on that. Yeah, so that's 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 an acceptable drop for a sequel. But John, look, I'm not, I don't want to I don't want to slam your artistic oeuvre. Let's be clear. Let's be clear, Andy. That 14 percent means that only 86 percent of people are leaving disappointed. That's right. And th- these were the critics, John. According to the audience ratings, 74 yeah. percent liked it. Yes. <laughs> 
F*** the critics, Andy. This is for the people. I mean, of, of those who who did respond from the public and left a comment, not not all of them were in that 74%, and some of them expressed their membership of the 26% in quite aggressive terms. But still, uh-huh. there's been some, you know, the, the, let's, the, you know what, what do reviews mean, John? I mean, uh, in fact... Nothing. Uh, well, exactly, there's been some interesting reviews. Uh, Percy Percy Lagrille of the New York Flabbergaster. Yeah. Really loved it, John. I mean, this has really gone down good. well with some of the big That's hitters. Um, she wrote, as cinematic masterpieces go, this is like Orson Welles and Martin Scorsese teaming up with Eisenstein. Spectacular, good. moving, and philosophically vibrant. Smurfs 2 is the silver screen Sistine Chapel, but more so, and with Smurfs in it. Whilst, yeah, I agree uh, with that. Again, I haven't seen it, but I agree with that. Uh, whilst Professor Arnell McStrain of the Harvard Arts Repostacle says, if I've ever seen a better film than this, I've yet to see it. Yeah, uh, good point. Uh, this this review's just come out uh, today. So damn gutted to have died 40 years before this came out. What a film. That's from Lyndon B. Johnson. Oh, um, the American Ouija reviews, uh, August 2013. Yeah. Uh, it's their ex-president special. They already also have uh, Teddy Roosevelt reviewing the Le Corbusier exhibition at MoMA in, in New York City. Not enough <laughs> dead rhinos for my liking, he writes. James K. Polk reviews Dr. Darren Langridge and Meg, Dr. Meg Barker's safe, sane and consensual contemporaries' perspectives on sadomasochism. And, and he loved it. And Calvin Coolidge give us his, gives us his perspective on the Broadway theatre's new smash hit musical, Street of the White Glove, a big-budget musical uh, based on the life of the renowned late 20th century snooker referee, John Street. Now, without giving too much away, John, it's fair to say that the 30th president of the United States and small government fan was not at all impressed with the casting of Hollywood star Vin Diesel as Street's refereeing colleague Len Len Ganley. (laughs) He thinks, Coolidge very much thinks film stars should stick to film, it seems, and in pretty potty mouth language. So, uh, that section uh, in the bin, the uh, review section, but it's it's clearly not not everyone's against it, John. Um, this uh, this is uh, Bugle 243. 243, of course, the optimum number of wheels on your vehicle at different stages of your life. Two, for your bike as a kid. Four, for your car as an adult. And then when you get old, three, car with a wheel taken off as a prank. You've got to entertain yourself. And uh, today, what, what Monday, the 5th of August, marks, John, 125 years of the road trip. In 1888, Bertha Benz, the wife of uh, car maker uh, Carl Benz, took her sons on a 66-mile road trip to see their granny. It was the first ever long-distance car journey. It took mm-hmm. all day, took her from uh, dawn to dusk to do those uh, 66 miles. The kids, in a, She took her kids with her. They must have been a nightmare in the back. Are we there yet? I need a wee. Or given that they were German, ich need eine bladige Splatspiss. Uh, the pit stop, John. The word pit stop, uh, most racing term, comes from the uh, German Beautiful word language. German word for toilet stop, which is pit stop from brick, and that's where mm-hmm. pit stop came from. In fact, in Grand Prix up to the 1960s, when when drivers took a pit stop, they did have to pop out of their cars to use the men's room before they were allowed back on the track. That that is a fact. Uh, also, uh, on this day, the 5th of August, 1735, landmark in the history of the freedom of the press. Uh, the uh, New York Journal writer John Peter Zenger was acquitted of seditious libel against Bill Cosby. Um, <laughs> not that Bill Cosby, it was in fact William Cosby, the oh. then Royal Governor of New York. And Zenger was acquitted on the basis that what he'd published was true and therefore uh, not libelous. And we mark this historic anniversary of the Freedom of the Press with some bugle sycophantic libel. Lies about the great and famous that they would like to be true. The kind of bullshit that Zenger would probably have been absolutely fine with. <laughs> 
Pop starlet Taylor Swift has hammered out a lasting peace deal that will end decades of conflict in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Swift, who is also committed to a worldwide one-woman mission to eradicate malaria, will demand that all sides in the Congo conflict sort everything out. Film star Robert Pattinson, voted Sexiest Man Alive by both the magazine Glamour UK and the Financial Times, has rescued 35 stricken dolphins from public swimming baths this year alone. And media mogul Rush Limbaugh can kill dogs just by looking at them. But it's such a great guy that he chooses not to apply his power. If any of that is right, sue us. Top story this week, breaking Berlusconi news. And uh, we have late-breaking Berlusconi updates here at the Bugle. Silvio Berlusconi, the real-life leatherface, the (laughs) sexual assaulter's sexual assaulter, and a man whose body is 60% water and 40% Viagra, the walking, (laughs) chemically-induced boner. And he has had... He has had Italy's highest court uh, just uphold his prison sentence for tax evasion. And that is apparently the end of his appeals process. Incredibly, it seems that Berlusconi has been found guilty in a permanent way. Like Al Capone, it's tax evasion that seems to have been his unlikely downfall, especially because, also like Al Capone, he's lived a life of a career criminal prior to this decision. (laughs) It's extraordinary that 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 it's over. Uh, yeah, it feels like at the end of the police academy franchise or something. You thought it would just never end. Um, but he described the more than fifty court cases he has faced as quote genuine judicial harassment that is unmatched in the civilized world. <laughs> um, I mean that's that's a that's a think, big claim. But uh, I think what he, ne- what he needs to understand, Daddy, is that some of those charges against him have generally been in response to human behaviour from him, which is unmatched in the <laughs> civilised world. Well, John, look, I'm not a massive fan of the no-smoke-without-fire school of justice, yeah. which, uh, you know, not, not all of my family would necessarily side with me on that one, as you would know, having, for example, met my brother. Uh, but, um, but 50 court cases, John, that is a lot of smoke yeah. for a man who's it's claiming he's never even been to a barbecue. A lot of smoke. Uh, no- Apparently, this sentence cannot be appealed, and yet Berlusconi, at 76 years old, is evidently unlikely to go to jail still because of his age. Uh, Reports seem to suggest that he's likely to serve house arrest or carry out community service. And for a start, you know that he's going to try and carry out community service cleaning the changing rooms of a women's volleyball team. That's for a start. (laughs) But also, does that essentially essentially mean that in Italy... Once you reach a certain age, you can basically commit any crime. Because that's that's an interesting idea. Age has increasingly been respected less and less culturally. And uh, maybe that would turn it all around if, upon turning 75, you were basically guaranteed not to go to jail. That might make kids think twice before messing with old people. <laughs> oh, sure. Keep pushing my bin over on your way to school, kids. Just know that on your way home, I'm going to be sitting in my front garden with a f***ing crossbow. <laughs> oh, what's that? You don't want to offer your seat to me on this bus? How about I empty this bucket of paint over your head? If you need me, I'll be serving out my sentence for this at home, also <laughs> known as the place I spend all my time anyway. <laughs> he said, uh, I've been rewarded with accusations and a verdict that is founded on absolutely nothing that takes away my personal freedom <laughs> oh. and my political rights. And those are no justice, no moving, justice. Uh, moving words, uh, yeah. John, because uh, when a man has his personal freedom and his political rights taken away, what yeah. is left of him? The answer, of course, is his penis. But <laughs> apart from his penis, what is left of the man? And the answer yeah. is his makeup 
and his hair dye and his total control of the media. But apart from that, John, <laughs> yeah. what is left for Berlusconi? Got to feel yeah. sorry for the guy. Now, Berlusconi's legal team said there were solid reasons why Berlusconi should have been acquitted. But again, Andy, when it comes to the sexual charges against him, there are some pretty solid reasons for which he should be in jail. And many of those solid reasons emanated from inside his trousers. But that's not the point. The point is, it could have been even worse for Silvio, the, uh, the Silvio Berlusconi, the uh, self-styled human snake, because the judges did not uphold the order that would have barred him from public office. That will apparently be re-examined by a lower court. So hold on, Andy. He could still come back if... If he pulls that off, Andy, not only is he technically legal Teflon, it would actually make me feel sorry for Anthony Weiner here in New York, Andy, because he's he's having some self-induced trouble running for mayor of New York, but it seems like he could announce running for the mayor of Milan, get on a plane to fly there, and have been elected to office before the seatbelt sign was turned off. Well, it just shows you can never rule Berlusconi out, John. You know, he's... You, you know, can't. He's, you know, because Italy has shown a frankly astonishing willingness to mm-hmm. just keep voting him in, in the interest of global entertainment rather than national well-being. And, um, you know, if he does get back into power, John, the way Italy just keeps voting him in, to me, that's that would be like getting another blowjob off the same crocodile with your eighth consecutive penis. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think that is the fairest way to describe... <laughs> His political history. And I think it's the way of describing it that he'd be most likely to understand. <laughs> uh, and also trying to ban... I mean, you can't ban Berlusconi from public... He'll find a way, John. You might as well try to ban yeah. bears from disappearing into the woods with a newspaper and a crossword-solving dictionary under their arms. You cannot <laughs> fight nature. That is his natural habitat. Zimbabwe holds election question mark update now. (laughs) And uh, it's Zimbabwe election time, Andy, which is always a confusing time for the international community, the people of Zimbabwe and the concept of numbers. (laughs) Uh, Before the election, uh, El Presidente Mugabe made a statement that was akin to a Ming vase. It was as admirable as it was empty. He pledged (laughs) to step down if he lost the election, which, of course, Andy, is completely meaningless because he doesn't lose elections. He's the Harlem Globetrotters of democracy. His winning record is undeniably impressive, but you have to take into the fact when looking at that record, he's not playing by anything resembling the rules. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, he is. Uh, if he knows, if he knows one thing, John, it is how to win an election. And uh, the final results aren't out. The world is waiting with maggots in its mouth. Uh, sorry, with bated breath. That's a little fishing joke for all you fish fans. Uh, for the result of the election, is this on? Is this on? Uh, and he does look set for another win, uh, John. I mean, there's no substitute for experience. When you have a winning record like that, John, trying to beat Mugabe in an election is like trying to beat Lance Armstrong in a who's had the most Tour de France title stripped from, from you competition. You're going to have to do something pretty special and also something pretty f***ing dodgy to pull it off. Uh, Mugabe is now 89 years old, but uh, the official election returns count him as 23 years old. And he is running for a seventh term. And he said, if you lose, you must surrender before winking at journalists and saying, that's a pretty big if, though. Am I right? Do you get it? You know, because of all those elections I stole. Do you get it? Do you? Uh, it's a pretty big if. Do you get what I'm saying? Because there's no way I'm going to lose. Do you, do you get? Because it, cause if it looks like I'm going to lose, I'll fix it. Do you get it? Yeah, <laughs> you get it. 
Uh, Mugabe's opponent, Morgan Spangarite, accused Mugabe of vote rigging and must have said that with an almost bored sigh in his voice. <laughs> he, he claimed that the election was a huge farce and that the poll on Wednesday was null and void, presumably before saying, OK, if anyone needs me, I'll be over here watching people do absolutely nothing about it. Uh, it is tough, as you say, Andy, to run against Mugabe, and for so many reasons, especially when Mugabe r- runs constantly on his classic platform of vote for me or I might have you killed. That's a a campaign promise that he's kept over the years, Andy, so there's just no room to accuse him of hypocrisy there. It's a very catchy slogan. As you say, it was uh, Svangarite described as a huge force. And by comparison with the other countries' elections, he might have a point. But by comparison with previous Zimbabwean elections, it's actually been about as farcical as a brick resting in a shed. Uh, because it's been much more peaceful. It's been devoid of the kind of levels of violence. And, you know, obviously some, some pretty dodgy things have gone on, John. But uh, it's just, it just makes you sort of, hurt, as a neutral, hanker for the uh, the old days when, for example, 25% of the electoral register turned out to be dead. You know, you just kind of miss that level of fraud. Just, yeah. I just feel that the world has lost something. Now, first official results uh, from the elections in Zimbabwe show that Mugabe's party has taken an early lead, which prompted the kind of surprised response when a particular horse takes an early lead uh, <laughs> when all the other horses have been shot dead in the stables. <laughs> There's a reason that horse is a hot favourite, Andy. That's all I'm saying. Well, you've got, to, you've got to cut him some slack, John. He vowed. Robert Mugabe vowed. That's, that's a vow, John. Free... Yeah. And fair elections. Now, yep. obviously, given his form line in this area, that I guess is about as reassuring as Joseph Stalin saying to you, no, honestly, I've really come round to poetry uh, in the end, so please do read on, Mr. Poet. I'm all ears. Don't, <laughs> don't look so nervous. I'll probably like it, as long as it rhymes. I'm not into all this free verse shit. Dum-de-dum-de-dum-de-dum-de-dum. Dum-de-dum-de-dum-de-dum-de-dum. Why piss on a winning sandwich? Go on. Ignore the fact that I'm on the phone to the train company booking a substandard class one-way adult single to Siberia for a... What was your name again? Uh, yep, go on. Right, let's hear it. Why are you crying? Shit, have I got breakfast in my moustache again? No, no. Well, okay, what, what's, it, what's it called anyway? Hang on, let me guess. Is it what a great guy Stalin is? Ah, I thought so. Good, right. Is it a long one? I might get some popcorn in. I love poems. It, oh, hang on. Is this going to be about how difficult your wife is going to find it after your mysterious death? It is, isn't it? I love, I love those ones. Oh, by the way, that's a lovely tune, Stravinsky. We should meet up and talk about it sometime. Uh, the the uh, the international media does not seem remotely interested in the election in Zimbabwe, Andy. And if it's possible, the American media is even less interested. And, and I can speak with experience, Andy, because uh, I've been watching the news in America all week. And I can promise you that American news networks would demonstrably rather cover an election between hypothetical candidates that will take place here in over three years' time (laughs) than covering an election in Zimbabwe that is happening right now. They have made their choice, Andy, and they're sticking with it. But she's 89 years old, John. I mean, that in itself is intimidating for uh, anyone taking him on. You know, it seems that not only can he beat his opponents and the concept of democracy, but I think he might even have bought off the Reaper. <laughs> because uh, elections in Zimbabwe have tended over the years to be about as bitter and divisive as a Zionist lemon in a Palestinian pims. So, so <laughs> <laughs> um, it'll be interesting, it'll good, be interesting good, to see... good we can laugh about that situation, isn't it, Andy? It's good, it's good we can laugh about it. it. it John Kerry should have was, opened with that. It was ages ago. And although there haven't been the uh, hasn't been the same level of violence as said as in previous uh, elections, and Mugabe isn't quite the force he was. You know, the eighteen ninety percent turnouts he uh, well, mm-hmm. the eighteen ninety percent of the vote that he uh, returned in the eighties and nineties that seems to have gone from his game, John. I guess you lose something uh, 
yeah. with age. Um, but there has been uh, there have been some irregularities. Two weeks ago, there was uh, early polling, mostly for the police who were due to be on election duty. Um, only uh, around about sixty percent of them were able to vote. And after the poll, a pile of ballot papers marked in favour of Svangarai were found in a dustbin. Um, and uh, Svangarai said, um, "It's a sham election that does not reflect the will of the people." And Mugabe said, "Yeah, no biggie, no biggie." And I guess also with Zimbabwe, you have to think, you know, a calm Zimbabwean election, to me that is like Lindsay Lohan. You know, even when it's calm on the surface, who knows what the f*** is going on underneath. <laughs> well, there we go, John. That's my first ever Lindsay Lohan joke. Well done, Andy. Even, well, even uh, though it's, yeah, it's really like, it's really a duck joke and yeah. you've just uh, used the words Lindsay Lohan instead of the word <laughs> duck. It's... Uh, no, no, it's, it's very much a career Rubicon we all have to cross at some point. Mm-hmm. A quick delve into the archives now. Um, uh, Bobby Mugabe has uh, long split opinion like a lobster in that most of it ends up dumped in the bin. And uh, like many controversial <laughs> leaders, he has been the victim of sporting boycotts. In the 2003 Cricket World Cup, leading Zimbabwean players Andy Flower, who's now the England coach, and the opera-singing fast bowler Henry Alonga, issued a statement lamenting the death of democracy in Zimbabwe and took the field wearing black armbands to mark their protest. It was a very brave action. Uh, and uh, I think I'm right in saying neither man has returned to Zimbabwe ever since. The reaction of cricket as a whole was to say, ah, oh, this is a bit awkward. Yay, look over there, there's some sport. Um, but the Zimbabwean <laughs> protest actually went on beyond, uh, beyond the World Cup in a rather more subtle, less attention-seeking way as this exclusive footage from the first test match of Zimbabwe's tour to England later in 2003 reveals. Uh, we'll just take you through the Zimbabwe scorecard now. First man to go was Mark Vermeerland. Took a big swing and a miss. Clean bowl by uh, young James Anderson for naught. Yes, Peter, this was very much an anti-Mugabe dust muscle. Uh, Vermeerland's wild swash at thin air was clearly a heavily symbolic statement how Zimbabwean society has descended into an uncontrolled mess with no possibility of success. Well, yes, Nigel, of course it was. The next man out, of course, was uh, young Dion Ibrahim. Bowled by Matthew Hoggard for naught, leaving the tourist struggling on naught for two. Played no stroke and watched the ball go straight into his middle stump. Bit of a misjudgment there. Uh, not at all, Peter. Ibrahim deliberately left a very straight ball. Did he, Nigel? Yes, he did, uh, Peter, thus brilliantly expressing his disapproval for the conduct of the international community. And uh, how exactly did he do that, Nigel? By doing absolutely nothing. Uh, by refusing to put his bat in the way of an obviously wicked, threatening delivery, Ibrahim implicitly criticised our political world for its failure to act in response to Mugabe's brutal excesses. OK, and I suppose you're going to tell me that Ibrahim's inaction led to the total destruction of the stumps, which instantly came to represent Zimbabwean society as a whole. You're bang on the banana there, Peter. Shattered and smashed all over the place. Yes, of course. And uh, the third wicket to fall was that of experienced campaigner Grant Flower, he also had for naught, leg before wicket to Hoggard. Uh, Zimbabwe, naught for three at this stage. So what's your f***ing take on this one, Peter? Oh, well, Nigel, Grant Flower, by coming to the wicket without a bat, left himself extremely vulnerable to Hoggard's Yorker, very much in the way that the population of Zimbabwe have no means of defence against the brutal Mugabe government. And uh, Grant uh, Flower made an extremely powerful statement by allowing the ball to crash into his undefended toes at 85 miles an hour. 
thus sharing and very vocally expressing the pain of the Zimbabwean poor as he symbolically hobbled off the pitch, wincing his in agony whilst all these spectators looked away awkwardly. Right, and that of course left Zimbabwe struggling at naught for three. Very symbolic scoreline. Is it really? Yes, it definitely is. Yes, of course, and, uh, and that soon of course became naught for four when young wicketkeeper Tatenda Taibu was also clean bowled by James Anderson, also for naught. So tell me, Nigel, what f***ing message was young Taibu trying to get across to the viewing world? Well, uh, Peter the Bull swung and Taibu missed it. Uh, poor betting for me from the young man. So you don't think he was embodying the desperation of his nation's youth in the face of domestic disintegration and international apathy? No, I just think the lad's got to work on his technique against the moving ball. You're an arsehole, <laughs> Nigel. You're a professional arsehole. <laughs> well, I can see why the show was cancelled. <laughs> I mean, just good luck finding a sillier <laughs> sketch... <laughs> anywhere on the internet next week good luck good luck I mean that that sketch Andy was yeah. pointless <laughs> <laughs> it was as pointless as an orange ah <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> oh. right. quiet news week <laughs> bit of fun Bit of fun. Bit of fun. Bit of fun. <laughs> bit of fun. Just a bit of fun. Your emails now, and this one comes in from Ben Reindeers. Uh, or Reinders. Let's call him Reindeers. Ben Reindeers. Dear Chris, Andy and John, uh, in order of whom I most suspect to be secretly the royal baby. <laughs> <laughs> As John insists on mentioning, the Smurfs movie has somehow made over $500 million. That's half a billion dollars. Yes. That's right. And half that's, a billion. And that was just the first one, wasn't it? That's, that's not that's even just the first one. Trillions yeah. that uh, the new one's going to make. Um, uh, I would imagine through a combination of bribery, espionage, and general confusion, he suggests. Well, you can't, you can't argue with the market. A sale, a sale. <laughs> Detroit, as mentioned in Bugle 241, is about $18.5 billion in debt. That is, that is true. This means that John and co. only have to make 37 Smurf sequels to pay off the mm-hmm. entire debt of that great city. Great. I figured out that all that is required to make one of these sequels would be some B-list celebrities, and I'm being generous, John, he says, to write some words, I refuse to call it a script, and someone to draw some Smurf pictures for the animation. I'm sure there are plenty of children in Detroit who enjoy drawing, and if they can't afford pens, they can draw in the blood of a dying city. <laughs> Alternatively, just get a room full of monkeys and typewriters, as I hear that when monkeys are not writing Shakespeare, they are pretty good at writing Smurf sequels. <laughs> Yours, Ben Reindeers. Well, I so, mean, Andy, just for just for the record, you know, from the my experience of the timing of making the Smurfs, uh, t- thirty-seven Smurf sequels would take me about thirty-seven days' work. <laughs> so, if I did it quickly, I could probably get that done in a month. Right. And do you think? I mean, is Katy Perry going to be uh, going to be up? For I can't that, speak for KP, Andy. Right. Yeah. I can't speak for her. I haven't I haven't met KP. Right. We have another email here from Theodore who says, Dear Andy, John and Chris, this week, Islamist fighting against the regime of recent Instagram joiner and LMFAO groupie Bashar al-Assad issued a religious decree banning the croissant in Syria 
as a symbol of colonial oppression. As if the Syrian people were not suffering enough, and they definitely are, <laughs> uh, trapped in a seemingly endless war between religious zealots and an authoritarian regime that thinks of nothing of uh, killing its own people, they must now go without this breakfast treat that none of them ate before the war anyway. Is it? It's at times like this that one cannot help but take a step back and survey the magnitude of history and how it's been brought to bear on the present. What if France had never occupied Syria? Could the rise of the Ba'ath Party in the current civil war have been avoided? What if another European power, such as Belgium, had ruled the Syrian people? What would the Islamists be banning now? Yours in confusion? <laughs> Theo, of course, Theo is the f***ing waffle! <laughs> but, but the waffle is not banned yes. in Syria. Yes. And that is what I say to the people of Syria. Yes, croissants are banned, but the waffle waves strong! <laughs> Trust in the waffle! <laughs> The waffle. waffle be thy name. <laughs> and this was sent in by Mikey in Bristol and various other people uh, as well sent us, uh, alerted us to this uh, this story. Dear John, Andy and Chris, in order of uh, likelihood of causing an international incident, uh, or in John's case, another international incident, <laughs> a number of bugles ago you discussed the mayor of Riga uh, who used a tank to crush a car in order to curb the non-existent problem of illegal parking. That is a kind of strong gesture politics the world needs more of. Well, I not only have a related story, but a potential candidate to the Bugle Sports Hall of Fame. I bring you Atalanta midfielder Giulio Miglaccio, who attended an ultras rally for his club, Atalanta, on a tank. Now, Atalanta's, uh, uh, for <laughs> American listeners or non-football following listeners, they're in a uh, football club in uh, from Bergamo in uh, northern Italy, a, a, a town where you will struggle to get a bad meal on uh, my, my evidence <laughs> of my three-day visit there sometime. The, now, the ultras are the kind of extreme fans anyway. So he attended this rally on a tank, which is impressive enough, but he then proceeded to crush two cars painted in the colours of arch-rivals Brescia and Roma. <laughs> oh, that is it. People say footballers don't connect with oh, the fans anymore. That is properly connecting with the fans. It. Oh, my God, that's great. He's been charged with what is possibly the greatest incident of bringing a game into disrepute. Disrepute! That is bringing it into repute. Yeah. Football that's needs introducing more. repute into <laughs> Italian football. <laughs> He's claiming he didn't know about the cars, which I assume is a valid excuse, as the tank was clearly in reverse. <laughs> However, I think this car-crushing kerfuffle makes him a clear candidate for the Bugle Sports Hall of Fame. Well, I'm not going to yes. argue with that. Giulio yeah. Miglaccio. He's in. He's in. Super work. I'd, I'd like to see him, you know, take take his work beyond the tank and follow mm -hmm. the uh, evolution of mechanized warfare from the tank in the First World War through the rest of the 20th century. I want I want him to nuke cars in the colour of Lazio before the end of the season. Well, yeah, and then and then at the start of next season, just sit in a in an office in Nevada on a computer, <laughs> send a drone across. To Italy, and then just bomb a little village painted in the colours of Roma. So thanks very much for your emails. Do keep them coming into info at thebuglepodcast.com. Don't forget to check out our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash the hyphen bugle. And on the buglepodcast.com website, you can buy the merch and take out your voluntary subscription if you've not already done so, which I assume you have. Or you will be hounded by the furies of hell for all eternity. Uh, now, it's gig alert time. Uh, a very uh, momentous 
time in the history of British show business. I have a run coming up at the Soho Theatre from the 9th to the 21st of September, in which I'm doing a show entitled Satirist for Hire, in which I will be taking satirical commissions from you, the ticket-buying public, to satirise the issues that you want to be satirised in the show. Um, So when you buy your ticket, you'll be sent an email link that you'll be able to send in your request, the date of the show you're coming to, and the topic that you want me to address with any... Uh, kind of, You can even request a polit- particular political angle you want me to address it from, although, obviously, if it is barkingly right-wing or even barkingly left-wing, I might tell you to go f*** yourself. But, um, uh, do, so it'll be basically a fresh, different show every day, and you can play your part in uh, helping the world cure all of its problems through the soothing balm of... Uh, satire in a room full of about a hundred people so uh do come along to the new show uh, it's on the soho theater website and we'll put up a link also on the bugle website uh, over the weekend that's it plug finished john have you got anything to plug apart from your movie uh, Smurfs 2's out, Andy. <laughs> Daily show's on next week. St- uh, New York stand-up show's on every Friday night at 11. But most importantly, Smurfs 2 is out, Andy. I'm a Smurf. Respect me. That's it. Once once a Smurf, always a Smurf. They can't take that away from you, John. <laughs> can't. There'll always be a little bit of John Oliver that is forever blue. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back with Bugle 244 next week. Until then, goodbye. Bye! Bye!